May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Several years ago, as part of the training and preparation for serving in worship as a deacon, I and the others in my cohort were taught what specific responsibilities deacons have in the liturgy. These duties are detailed in the Book of Common Prayer and are related to the particular kind of ministry that deacons are called to. Serving all people, particularly the poor, the weak, the sick, and the lonely, and interpreting to the church the needs, concerns, and hopes of the world. That is why on Sunday mornings, I, as the deacon in the liturgy, do the same tasks week after week and don't rotate those assignments with Father Steve or Mother Becca who have their own duties as priests in the liturgy. When there is a deacon present at the service of Holy Eucharist, that person reads the gospel, proclaiming the good news to the church, bids confession, calling the church to repentance and reconciliation, sets the table for Eucharist, placing our offerings of bread and wine on the Lord's table, and dismisses everyone at the end of worship, sending us out into the world strengthened and ready to live, serving others and radiating God's love to all. I appreciate each of these duties and am thankful for the opportunity to serve in these different ways in worship. But I have found that one of those roles brings me an unexpected level of joy and continues to enrich my own faith journey. And that is reading the gospel lesson aloud, speaking the words and often hearing them in ways that I have never heard them before. Even when I'm not preaching like I am today, earlier in the week, I will practice reading the assigned passage out loud paying attention to not only whether there are unfamiliar names to pronounce, but also to the arc of the story and the flow of the words, so that when I say the words, I am not simply reading text, but am mindful that I am proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Some weeks as I prepare, the good news is easy to find in the words, and I look forward to reading them on Sunday. But there are other times when the lessons of Jesus are much harder, when they sound more unsettling or concerning rather than comforting. Last week's gospel reading was what I think of as more obvious good news. Jesus asks his disciples who they say that Jesus is, and Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Reading Peter's words aloud, it is almost impossible not to feel his confidence and certainty about who he knows Jesus to be. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It is equally powerful to hear Jesus' words in response to Peter. Blessed are you. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. In that moment, I can only imagine Peter's enormous satisfaction and self-assurance that comes from not only answering Jesus' question correctly, 
but also from being rewarded with being vitally important to the establishment of the enduring, formidable church that Jesus is building. I am certain that Peter begins to visualize what it will look like to be part of such important work of the Messiah. He probably immediately starts making plans for this new reality. How exciting this opportunity is. How wonderful it's going to be to be part of this new world that Jesus, the Messiah, is creating. Peter, the rock. Peter, the one who knows who Jesus is. Peter, who is confident in what following Jesus looks like and where that journey leads. What a difference a week makes. The gospel verses this morning immediately follow last week's, and in what seems to be an instant, Peter goes from being teacher's pet to the doghouse, from being the strong foundational rock of the church to being a stumbling block, from being part of something Hades can't withstand to being called Satan. What has happened? Where does Peter lose his way? What does Peter say that causes Jesus to rebuke him so harshly? When Jesus reacts this strongly, there is surely something that should get our attention, something important for us to consider. It seems that Peter's biggest failing here, the thing that causes him to stumble and presents the greatest danger to his discipleship, is his excessive confidence in his own understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. His single-minded certainty that he knows what the Messiah, the Son of the living God, is on the earth to do. He's so sure of himself and what he knows that he takes Jesus aside to tell Jesus what should and shouldn't be part of the work of the Messiah. He rebukes Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is showing his disciples the path for the journey ahead, the way that will lead to Jerusalem, to suffering, to death, and ultimately to new life, preparing them for the reality of what is to come. But Peter is determined that what Jesus says cannot be since it doesn't align with what Peter knows should happen. Peter has so convinced himself that he understands what being a follower of Jesus is, that he is prepared to tell Jesus how Jesus has gotten things wrong. Peter is certain he understands what Jesus being the Messiah means, which likely includes overthrow of the powerful, rather than the suffering and death of God's Son. But Jesus is showing and teaching another way. Peter's problem is his insistence on holding on to the lessons of the world rather than trusting the divine teaching of Jesus. If Peter persists in putting his truth and the world's understanding of what is possible and desirable, he will indeed be a stumbling block. It will not matter how many of Jesus' questions Peter can reply to correctly. 
if he doesn't live trusting in the truth of the answers. How many technically correct responses can we provide to questions about our faith? How many verses of scripture can we reply from memory? How many times have we prayed the Lord's Prayer or said the creeds? Are there times when we are sure of our place in the body of the church being at least a part of the rock on which the church rests? Are there moments when we experience Jesus calling us blessed? Are there times when we are confident that we understand what being a follower of Jesus means? At those times, are we tempted like Peter to want to make the journey for us and for others look the way we and the world want it rather than the way Jesus teaches it should be? After Jesus cautions Peter about being a stumbling block, he makes it a point to tell all of his disciples, who probably have some of the same assumptions Peter does, but they just don't say them out loud. Well, he tells them what being a follower is all about. Anyone to become my followers, says Jesus, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. These are words very familiar to anyone who has spent much time in the Christian church, and I'm sure many people can recite them from memory. But how many of us think we know what doing this kind of following looks like? And how many of us live trusting in the divine truth of these words? I can't say that I know exactly what this kind of discipleship looks like or specifically what it requires of each of us. But I think it's more difficult and challenging than we might want it to be and also offers more life-giving abundance than we may think is possible. The words of Paul we heard from Romans go a long way, I think, in describing the fullness of life lived as a follower of Jesus. Love deeply. Work against evil. Strive for good. Care for each other. Serve with gladness. Be hopeful. Have patience in suffering. Share hospitality with everyone. Bless all, even those with whom you disagree. Share the joys and pains of life with each other. Live peaceably together as far as it is in your ability to do so. Avoid revenge. Give food and drink to anyone who is hungry or thirsty. And be persistent in acting out of goodness, which has the power to overcome evil. There are things that are hard about living this way. We are generally inclined to act prioritizing our own interests and concerns over the needs of other people. 
It is often easier to turn a blind eye to what is wrong in the world or to despair that anything can be done rather than to trust in the power of good to overcome the brokenness. It's more comfortable to keep away from people we don't understand or with whom we disagree than engage in mutual relationship with them. But in all of this, there is tremendous life-giving abundance promised in the words of Jesus when we answer his call, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. May we not only hear these words of good news that Jesus gives to us and learn them, but may we also live our lives trusting in the divine truth that these words contain, not fearful of what we might lose, but hopeful about the possibility of new life for ourselves and for all of God's creation. Amen.